Hello and welcome back to another Buffy podcast. I'm Trevor. And I'm Kristen. And we're going to geek out about Buffy. Today's episode is season two, episode three, School Hard. Woo! One of the best. I've watched it twice now. (laughs) (laughs) Because you love it so much. Yeah. Well, we also intended to record last week, and then we both were a little busy, and we didn't have time, so I watched it again today. Right. It's not a hard one to rewatch. No, it's a really good one to (laughs) rewatch. Like, one of the better ones to (laughs) rewatch. For anyone new, this is the episode where Spike is introduced. Home sweet home. And I will spoil the shit out of this. Spike will be on this show forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Till the <laughs> end. Is, All the way uh, to the end. That's hardly a spoiler because I'm sure you've seen him. And he's definitely not like some one-off guy if people yeah. meme the shit out of Spike. Yeah. Although I will argue he is like a different character in this episode than he comes to be. Yes, yes. I feel I feel like he was always intended to be this big menacing villain and then people were like, "Oh, but I love him." Yeah. <laughs> he he gets very gentle <laughs> relatively yeah. quickly. It is weird watching him in this episode knowing where he goes and, and I just want to ruffle his hair. I'm like, "You're so cute." <laughs> <laughs> you you think you're scary. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to do anything. And then he snaps the guy's neck and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, okay. God. I was just like a teacher, just like one, yeah. like a lonely, sad teacher in Sunnydale. Yeah, you just killed him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so essentially, if you're not watching along, this is the episode where the Scooby gang, it's basically some like, uh, welcome back to school, teacher, P- PTA thing. Yeah, it's like parents night. Yeah, parents night. And so Buffy and another troublemaker at school who... <laughs> We'll get to it in a second, but they they're tasked <laughs> with like setting up for parents' night, and then uh, at parents' night, Spike basically crashes the party and tries to kill Buffy. Yeah, uh, that's like the general plot of this story. And there's a lot of nitty gritty that we'll get into. Yeah, but, but um, as comes to be a pattern too, he literally can't do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's literally so bad at making plans and doing things appropriately. <laughs> Can't stick to it. Can't do it. (laughs) Um, It is funny, too, because you watch knowing Fool for Love and other elements throughout the series that kind of point out that Buffy is successful because of her friends. Yeah. I I notice it more and more as I watch the show. Um, I think we talked about it in season one, too, where like Mm -hmm. a lot of the times I get annoyed at movies and TV shows when someone is like near death. Like a like a spike will land next to their head. I'm like, if that was one inch, you would be dead. Yeah. Like close calls for some reason always irritate me. But in this show, it it's part of the story where it's like she survives for so long because she has people constantly saving her. Right. Yeah. Uh, or, or not at least constantly even, saving her, like looking yeah. out for her. Even just there to provide a distraction, which right, is basically yeah, yeah. all that Joyce does in that moment. Right. Yeah. Um, which is great. Uh, this this show opens with Snyder being a dick. A lot of educators tell students, think of your principal as your pal. I say, think of me as your judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah, okay. I, he, I've always thought he was a dick. He's always been horrible. I totally get that. But, like, this is, like, a new level of ridiculousness. In the first place, 
Buffy and Sheila are not the same. At all. Like, not the same. Although I do, one of my favorite things is how gleeful Sheila is about having stabbed a teacher with gardening shears. I didn't stab anyone with a trowel. They were pruning shears. She seems very, very excited about having done that, and I do like that a lot. She's proud of herself. She's just so pumped about it. (laughs) The thing that really annoys me is that Snyder is punishing Buffy for things she didn't do at his school. Right. So he's like, you burned down a school building. Well, that was never proven. The fire marshal said it could have been mice. Mice. Mice that were smoking. And it's like, right. yeah, over a year ago in a different school, like in yeah. a, di- a whole different city and county and district in California, right. that these two, this does not apply to the current situation. That's kind of the core of my problem. I love this episode, uh, but the core of my problem with this, because one of my main issues is they go hard mm-hmm. on Buffy being a problem child in this yeah. episode with her mom and everything. And uh, he do- he says all these horrible things that the other girl, what's the other girl's name again? Sheila. Sheila. The- Sheila did. He says all these horrible things. He's like, but then again, she didn't burn down a gym. And I was like, that's all you have, though. Yeah, that that's it. And again, not at this location. <laughs> right. was like before she ever went here. And, and I think you're right about the stuff with Joyce, because this is another one of those moments where Joyce really annoys me as Buffy's mother, because when, especially after she goes to talk to Snyder and then she comes back and she just looks at Buffy and she's like, get in the car now. And I'm like, what makes you, Joyce, a smart woman? I know you're a smart woman. You're a business owner at this point. What makes you think you can take the word of this sniveling little rodent man over your beloved daughter? Like, right. it, that is it's just so frustrating to me that I'm just like, Joyce, I feel like you're not using your brain. And, right. it, well, and she ends up using her brain, but it's not her, her first instinct is not to be like, well, I think you're talking shit about my kid. Right. And that's it shows up later when she sticks up for Buffy against Snyder. But like Buffy even says at the end, what what did he tell you? And she said he said you're a troublemaker. And I was like, which also sort of goes into her character because she's also dealing with the fact that her daughter burned down a gym. So she's like, is my daughter a troublemaker? I'm like, but at least get context which we discussed give you examples or something (laughs) yeah which we discussed in episode one where she she basically was like try not to burn down any buildings and we both were like did you try asking your child why they did something so extreme (laughs) because i feel like you'd get an answer (laughs) it's so insane and that's that's what that's the only thing that annoys me in this episode is the constant fear of of snyder telling her and, and like She's she's covering for Sheila. She's doing the schoolwork. She's studying with Willow. Because at first I was like, oh, maybe he tells her that she's doing bad with grades. And they didn't necessarily show us that she's doing bad with grades. But I guess this is their way. And then at the end when she said he just said you were a troublemaker. I'm like, yeah. so you're just showing that you're already good at everything. Yeah. Because that, we don't really ever even get the... Uh, n- there's never any proof that Buffy's bad at school. Right. Like, there's never any, like, real worry that she's not going to pass school. Right. And so that, I think, is also a really interesting thing. You're right, where where literally all he says is she's a troublemaker, not like she's flunking history or something like that, which would be a reasonable thing to be like, okay, well, you're grounded, like, you know. Right. But it's just, you're a troublemaker. Where are the receipts? Yes. Give me the proof. I don't believe you. Show me where. Yeah. The only thing, I was thinking about it too. I was like, the only thing I can think of is when she threw 
the the guy in gym over her shoulder because he grabbed her ass. But that hasn't even happened yet. Didn't that happen? No, that's it. That's after Oz. Oh fuck! Because so Oz is in that gym class. No, there's literally so far nothing. Because he says he talks all kinds of crap about her at the beginning about how she she's prone to starting fights and this and it, like extreme absences was the only one that I can be like, yeah, that's true because she is leaving class constantly to fight crime. Right, right. But again, she's fighting crime. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing where it's just like, yeah, we get it. Like she does, she is having trouble attending classes, and I understand that fear with her mother. And I was like, it would make more sense if she's like. Buffy, like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. But the fact that she was, like, in the car, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? No, Joyce, Yeah, it's, it's not the right move, Joyce. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bad move. She ends up being so great and she does. so yeah. iconic. And, and like, I just, she was just, like, my surrogate second mother. Um, but she has a couple of troublesome things. I think it's once she finds out about who Buffy is, For she sure. finally like comes around. But that it just takes so long. But like, I, so that it's very frustrating because this like early clueless Joyce is just very like, ugh. Yeah. I have to deal with this again. Come on. Right. Because her her conversation with Buffy is very sweet and earnest at the end, where she's yeah. like, I don't care. If you're doing all this shit that you think teenagers need to be doing, mm-hmm. as long as I, because I know you can take care of yourself yeah. and take care of others, like that's all that's important, which is true. It's just like, make sure your kids yeah. are like capable. I like that. I like that part. I think that, that part of her little speech the best because she's like, I have a daughter who knows what's right and puts others before herself. Yeah. And I, in like, in a protective way. And I just really, I like that. And also, I think in the moment of the like, the actual battle and the danger. I do like that Joyce doesn't really question Buffy at all. She kind of just falls in line and is like, this person that I know knows, seems to know what they're doing and she's speaking with much authority. So I'm going to just do it. And, and she even like berates Snyder for not listening to Buffy. Why don't you sit down? This is my school. What I say goes and I say, this is not happening. Well then I guess the danger's over. I'm not waiting for them to open the doors. I'm getting out. Don't be an idiot. I'm beginning to see a certain mother-daughter resemblance. No! Look, you heard what Buffy said. She's a student. Is she? But uh, it, this is also kind of like a turning point for Joyce because she, you know, she had the... We, we've discussed that she should have talked to Buffy after burning down the gym, but she had the gym, and she she's just constantly worried that Buffy's spiraling, and I think witnessing that she's not a troubled child, like someone who seeks out trouble but seeks to help others. I think yeah. that makes her turn to like, okay, my my daughter's good. Like mm-hmm. I don't I was I don't know why I was worried. Um but yeah, so all of that for scene one of yeah. mm-hmm. Principal Snyder <laughs> <laughs> being an asshole. Um and then one of my favorite transitions ever. Uh and because they mirror this in season four, I think. I think it was season four, where um, uh, Xander says, It's no biggie. You'll have a nice soiree. Parents will love it. As long as nothing really bad happens between now and then, you'll be fine. Are you crazy? What did you say that for? Nothing bad is going to happen. 
What do you mean? Nothing's gonna happen. Not until some dummy says, as long as nothing bad happens. It's the ultimate jinx. What were you thinking? What were you even thinking at all? And then it smash cuts into Spike driving through the sign. They do it that yeah. again in like season three or four, which is also hilarious. Yeah. Um, Spike is always driving through the sign. Yeah. Like he drives <laughs> through the sign every single time on the way in or out of Sunnydale. And yeah. it becomes like a thing. It's very, yeah. it's very funny. He does it drunk once, which is really yeah. funny, like falls out of the car. I just assume um, he's drunk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume he's like low-key drunk all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he shows up and then that's like before the credits. And I don't know why I'm like breaking down scene by scene, but. Because uh, <laughs> it's very good. It this is, is very, very good. There's so, so much in this episode. And then uh, and then it's the St. Vigis talk with the vampires and the mm-hmm. anointed one. Um and we, the the anointed one. Yep. Oh, uh, that's the, that's also why this is one of my favorite episodes because mm-hmm. of how it ends. But uh, same. Yeah, they. There's another issue I have with this episode where they establish that Drusilla's weak, mm-hmm. but they don't give a reason for it ever. We get to one, my knowledge. Yeah, we get one later. Do we? Yeah, I think it's after. I think it's after the like initial run of episodes that Spike was meant to be in, but they were attacked by a mob in Prague. But like, why did that make her weak? Oh, if you're looking for a real answer, I don't know. I just <laughs> know that she I was mean. attacked by a mob in Prague. <laughs> I don't know if there's more than that. I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know if they had witches maybe or something, but they, oh, yeah. she was like, it was... Because it was her specifically. She, like, went after people, and they came for her. Right. And Spike was, like, barely able to get them out alive. Right, yeah. She's... But, so I don't know if they, like, stabbed her a lot or did something. But she's also just, like, bonkers. Yeah. So she also just can't care for herself. I mean, it's it's great it's great story-wise because yeah. you, you have this mildly crazy person coming into the story, and you're like, what is her deal? She is off Mm -hmm. and then when she spoiler alert gets her strength back she's like a whole new she's still the same character but she brings this level of fear where you're like oh this is a functioning person who's insane she also in in getting her strength back she gets moments of lucidity that are actually the most terrifying and sad drusilla moments when you can see her lucidity coming through. And I will say, I think they're more prevalent on Angel. She has several moments of lucidity on Angel that are like, it it just makes, she is, I want to say like the most tragic character of the series. Oh yeah. Like Drusilla hurts my feelings. Especially when they, yeah, when they dive into her backstory. Once you find out why she is the way she is and everything. But I also do love, she's sort of like, like a foil for Giles in a way where like they barely interact with one another but she is similarly giving big swaths of information almost every time she speaks mm-hmm. but it's just like in riddle so you right. don't really realize it yeah but yeah I mean I think she's fabulous Juliet Landau she, is is top notch um, amazing yeah um yeah and then like once you once you realize what Angel 
did to her. Oh, God. An- another spoiler. Yeah. we. I don't want to go all the way into it, but... Yeah. I yeah. won't go all the way into it, but yeah. It, one it makes more you... tick in the hating angel box if you I need know. to... This, <laughs> that what is, he's done. <laughs> that is honestly, though, like when you're watching the show, like... I mean, but it's tr- it's true. It's like that was Angelus and... Um, I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get but, into that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it. But my point is that he's not different enough. Yeah. From what he was. And there's more, there's like fan theories about what happens at the end of season two that I really like and that I subscribe to because there, it doesn't mesh, like nothing meshes with the way that Angel is and his soul and everything. Okay. So there's a fan theory that we'll get into. Later. At the end of season yeah, two. Yeah, at the end of season two. I'll tell I you. Know I'll tell now. you off the air. I'll tell you okay. when we're done. But I don't want to tell everybody because it really informs a lot of stuff. Oh, nice. So yeah. look forward to that in months ahead. But yeah. I get it right now. In six months later. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, Drusilla and Spike show up, mm-hmm. and it's one of the most iconic scenes of the show absolutely just just spikes spikes intro uh the whole like i was there during the crucifixion the his him having killed slayers his turn from vampire to human when like him basically going to vulnerability when he senses Uh drusilla near there they also Uh. the both of them specifically give the show a very timeless quality because she is always wearing like borderline victorian empire wasted dresses and he's got his whole like 80s billy idol look and so that is like while a lot of the stuff is dated i think the two of them are very timeless because their their looks don't come from this era and so i do like that a lot about them too and i just like her sort of like daffiness is really good and the way the way they interact with each other is, I think, one of the more important signifiers of Spike's character overall. Because the way that he interacts with her specifically is very important. He is, like, yeah. devoted to her. And you get that from minute one. And yeah. I think that's so important to remember as we go through this journey, <laughs> and especially in comparing him <laughs> with Angel... <laughs> To, who is devoted to no one. Right. So it's it's very interesting, the and especially what it says about the nature of vampires in this world and what Giles told Buffy and Willow and Xander almost immediately, which we, the viewers, after this moment, we know it not to be true, that they retain nothing of their lives and they can't feel emotions and they can't show love to anything and... But the thing is, is that I think Xander goes the most black and white on that, and he just believes Giles wholeheartedly. But even up to this point, Giles is accepting help from Angel. So regardless of the soul, I feel like there's something more black and white in Giles, and there's something more black and white in Willow, because she is relatively open to it, especially in these early goings as well. And Buffy, unfortunately, begins leaning more towards the, like, black and white nature of it for a long time. But, I mean, they're they're all just being, like, whispered in the ears by, like, different people who have their own agendas. And it, it sucks because as a viewer, it's easier to look at the big picture and be like, hey, 
one of these things is not like the other one. And I prefer this one because it's more realistic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, because that's one of the biggest um, things in the show is like all the vampires kind of have these unique personalities. Yeah. Um, and they it's if they were devoid of human emotion they would not do anything but yeah. literally like sleep and then go out and hunt and they wouldn't like angelus has joy angelus mm-hmm. takes joy out of torturing and hurting people like yeah. that's still an emotion regardless of if it's wrapped up in doing harm yeah it's to- it's he- a totally twisted form of joy but it still right. exists as joy you're totally right. right and i mean you know we get to a point where like you know Spike is like devastated that the blooming onion got taken off the menu at the bronze. Right. And like that is like a human emo- emotion. Right. And so that kind of thing is like I, I just don't it's like from almost minute one, because even after Jesse turns into a vampire, he still is demonstrably Jesse. Right. He's just a dick. Yeah. So it's just it's basically turning off your I actually, I'll be totally honest. I like the way that the Vampire Diaries puts it the best because you can turn off your humanity yeah. in the Vampire Diaries, which leads you to be to like just not give a shit. And they do kind of act like different people in that case. Interesting, but it that is not the way it happens here, and especially given things we learn, especially about Spike and Angel later, it's just simply not the case. It it just in essence, makes them more who they were. Right. Which I think is really important to keep in mind because it. I think it informs both of their characters so much and it informs their relationships with every character in the show yeah. in a way that is, like, really long-lasting from a writing standpoint. Yeah. It's kind of like... It's like that... This is out of left field, but it's like that character on Community when Britta was, like, obsessed with the... Carn- carnival guy oh yeah uh-huh and joel and uh not joel <laughs> joel McHale, but jeff yeah. was so uh was so fascinated yeah. why she was so drawn to him and it was because he just had no shame i think it was like he had was like some- a, he like he had a brain injury i just watched that episode it was something like his like a piece fell off the ferris wheel and hit him in the part of the brain that feels shame yeah and he just doesn't anymore so he just straight up doesn't care what anyone thinks about anything and he just yeah. lives his life right and that's what's so appealing about a guy like that, who also, by the way, is Sewage Joe from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, that's the kind of thing where it's like you can, if you're taking that, if you're taking it how I explained it, like like either a turning off of your humanity or like just having your id take over, that is obviously captivating for a person who cannot do that. Because you are drawn to somebody with that level of confidence who's just like, I can do this and I can do that and you can't stop me. And I think that also is, and I'm not going to give a lot of context, but I think that's also what's very um, captivating and enticing to Buffy about Faith. Because there's a very similar vibe going there. And so I really like that notion that it's not necessarily that the demon takes over and there's nothing else except for a mindless killing machine because we can see on the page that that's not true. I prefer that it's like you are still at your core the same person, but your basest instincts have taken over. And so you're just basically doing all of the things that you always wanted to do but weren't allowed to by society. Which again... (laughs) 
informs the progression of all of these characters so deeply and crazily. And it's just like, you get to a point where you realize what Spike Spike's major motivation was as a human being. And you can see how that is what he's seeking with all of his behavior as a vampire. And it's just wild to me. Yeah. And it's very similar with Angel, just on a flip side of the coin. Yeah, and it, and they would not be interesting if they didn't have the these emotions that drive their character. Like, yeah, totally. Half the show, like the show, wouldn't be as popular as it was if they were like vampires, bad, yeah. no emotions, and it's just we're gonna follow Scooby's fighting demons, and it's like yeah. no. So there was this really cool show a couple seasons ago called The Passage with Mark Paul Gossler. And this really, really cool woman um, named Brianne Howie, who was just on a Netflix show called Ginny and Georgia. But basically, there was like a, it was sort of like a plaguey type of thing, except it didn't affect a lot of people. Either that or it was like scientific injections. I don't know. It only lasted one season and I was devastated. But they were vampire adjacent, these creatures. And they were kind of like mindless eating machines to the point where like the one woman, she just sort of like sat there and stared the whole time. But we got like flashbacks to when they were human and like what was like going on with them and everything. And that's a very, I think that's one of the only ways to make something that is a mindless eating machine into something that's actually fascinating. Right. Yeah. It was just like very cool. And so that's, I do love that about this show that like, even though it steps on its own metaphor a lot of the time, it it still is like if you're looking for it and you want it, the metaphor goes through the whole thing. You just have to be willing to interpret it. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> it's straight up lying to you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get too in there. Um, and then, yeah, and then also, <laughs> we're just like scene two. <laughs> but uh, also another... Uh, I think one episode that fully contextualizes this idea of the vampires is Conversations with Dead People in season seven. A hundred percent. Because you really get that through there. Mm -hmm. And it's weird that it takes like seven seasons to get to that. But when you do, you also have the backlog of all of these characters that you've known. So you're like working off that and watching it's one of my favorite yeah there's like a there's a handful because you get and especially i mean you get more in in the tv show buffy you get more of these episodes about spike but it's like the end of the end of this season or the middle and the end of the season we get a decent amount and then we get a ton in fool for love about spike and his past and everything and then we get a ton in lies my parents told me and then we get a ton in conversations with dead people and it that's the kind of thing where it's just like yeah it does take a while but all that time we've been building up this proof of his character and character development and it's the type of thing where What's what's so fascinating to me is that he's almost relearning how to be a human by spending time with these humans but it it ends up being in such a way that it's it's almost like he's reverting to being a human as opposed to growing into something secondary and i i just think that's really interesting and i think that the the way that james marsters acts it is really cool too especially having started with such a nebulous sort of i mean they don't even get his age right in this episode oh here's some good news he's barely 200 he's not even as old as angel and i was like he is like 117 in this episode <laughs> yes. like there's that's as far <laughs> back as you can go given what we find out later yeah so 
I do, I do like all of those things about it. And that, and, and that it all goes back to the, like, how, how careful he is with Drusilla and the level of care and the amount of, like, thought he puts into his relationship with her is, like I said, directly contradictory to what we have been told vampires will be. And yet here he still is. Yeah. And and to anybody who hasn't caught on in this first half hour, we are big Spike fans. Yeah, this is not going to end. These <laughs> long is... monologues of me waxing poetic yeah. about Spike's character yeah. is not going to end. Yeah. I, so this apologies is... up front, but sorry, the, not sorry. The new podcast opens is going to be like, welcome to another Buffy podcast where we gush about Spike for an hour. Spike for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't uh, even gotten to the episodes that are like, actually important spike episodes no, this is no. all very oh, surface God. level yeah. shit right now <laughs> it's gonna be four hour episodes <laughs> my kids are gonna be like what's for dinner i don't care find something in the pantry i'm talking Here, about here's spike. my credit card you know how to use doordash <laughs> yes um uh and then yeah and so we we meet spike and drusilla and then this is another one of my favorite transitions where he's like so how about this slayer is she tough Ow. What's wrong? I spent a good part of my allowance on this new cream rinse, and it's neither creamy nor rinsy. <laughs> I do love so that. Funny. Where she just I love is that like, shit. Ugh. And then, <laughs> remember cream rinse? That's not like not even a thing anymore. <laughs> it shows a little dated. <laughs> it's so dated, but I love it. Um, but yeah, I, I I wrote down that this is just so. We talked about it earlier. It's just so hard to believe this this concern Buffy's concern because I feel like Buffy should also be like I haven't done anything yeah like she's so worried about what Snyder's gonna say to her I'd be more like what exactly are you gonna tell her are you gonna lie yeah exactly I'm I'm not doing anything (laughs) exactly I I definitely agree with that I mean I guess at the point I don't know that I would have had that level of like I don't know, agency at the age of 16 to be talking back to my principal who clearly has it out for me. But I do sort of agree where it's just like, what? I'm not, I haven't done anything. Like, I'm just like being normal. And I mean, Snyder's only been there for like, we've only really seen Snyder for like six total episodes, maybe. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it works. It sort of works with the metaphor, with a metaphor of like kids become the bad kid if you keep mm. telling them they're the bad kid. Sure. And so like she yeah. is still a 16 year old. Yeah. And so like in her head, she's constantly being told you're wrong, you're bad, you're a problem child. And yeah. it, she's internalizing it. So that makes sense. I just wish... They kind of, because she's, uh, the problem is we know that she's not, and we know that the things she does that are quote unquote bad are her saving the world. Right. So it's hard to kind of portray that internalized um, hatred for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It just kind of falls, for me, it falls flat, the the Snyder stuff. Yeah, well, and I think it's the type of thing that like would work better on a character like Sheila, because she clearly doesn't have any like parent or good friends looking out for her. She leaves school on a motorcycle with a boy named Meat Pie. Hey, Meat Pie! <laughs> to meat go Pie! To, to go to some bar called the Fish House or something. Yeah. 
It's just all around skeevy. Which also, when she's walking out of the bar with those two guys, and she's like, is it true you have a caddy? Oh, God. I was like, who's getting riled up for a Cadillac? What is going on? Okay, like, what kind of Cadillac? Is this like a 1950s Cadillac, or is this a 1997 Cadillac? There's a difference, and I don't want a 1997 Cadillac. Let's clarify some things. Yeah, I need to know what is going on in Sheila's head. Is she just like, is she like dying for like a, like a really ugly Cadillac? Or is it like a 50s, like a Coupe de Ville or something? Because like those are different. And then and surrounding all of this is Spike. And something that's interesting watching now uh, is that this could only be done here. This introduction of Spike could only be done in the in episode three of season two because okay. the master, a vampire, an old vampire, was the big bad of season one, and we could keep having vampires. You know, it would probably get boring after a while, but like yeah. we're still in the world of like there's some other things, but vampires are still kind of the immediate threat. Yeah, and he's able to come in and menacingly watch them dance and like set up a fight for her and watch her fight and say, Nice work, love. Who are you? You'll find out on Saturday. Happens on Saturday. I kill you. Like it is legit like, oh, that is more scary than like getting into a fight with this unknown vampire. And that only because if that happened in season three after a Kothla and all that stuff. Yeah. You'd be like, you're a vampire. So you're saying it it can't happen later. Yeah. I'm saying like after she escalates the level of demons she fights, you wouldn't be able to introduce a vampire as this menacing presence. Because even like in season five, when that. (laughs) <laughs> the yeah, premiere yeah, yeah. With it. yep. it's just a joke at that point where yeah. it's like the most known and you're like whatever this is hilarious yeah. well it's also I think it couldn't have happened sooner either because I think even because at this point now we know that Angel and Spike are related and we knew that Angel and Darla were related and that Darla was related to the master so right. now I don't feel bad spoiling this all the vampires we know by name are related wow. yeah so <laughs> Yeah, I think that even if Drusilla had been injured, I think Spike would not have come to the Hellmouth if the Master had still been there. Because he would have been, like, required to, like, go to court or whatever. Oh, yeah, because he would be, yeah. Like, beholden to that. And I don't think he would have done that. So I think it couldn't have happened earlier or later than it did. It, It has to be now. And... I especially appreciate that it is episode three, that it's not like immediately, like it right. didn't open episode one. We had like the ver- the finishing of the master plot line and then a filler episode and then we got Spike. Yeah, like we got to breathe. Yeah, really important. Yeah. And it's super cool because he's also in episode three of season one of Angel. That's his first Angel appearance as well. Is it? Nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's, his, that's his deal. Um uh, yes, we we love Spike. <laughs> um, but also, I when they I wrote down Angel being a fucking douchebag again because they're all <laughs> the Spike guy seems like just a regular old vampire. He's like he's not, and then fucking leaves. Yeah, Angel, do you know if this Spike fellow goes under any other name? Okay, that's it. I'm putting a collar with a little bell on that guy. I'm like, you have so much information, you dick. In infuriating 
so infuriating and i'll tell you exactly why not only does he start giving them information he's like once spike wants to do something he won't stop until it's over first of all that's a straight up lie spike never finishes anything no like literally never he's such a quitter and he's so bad at making plans and then right as they're about to ask him another question they turn around he's totally gone and the reason that he does it is because he's embarrassed about his part in these people yeah he cannot own up to the bad things he's done and so it it just lends this more uneven nature to his relationship with buffy which is so gross and like groomy and just like only telling her the good things about himself and like never getting into like the negative things to the point where like she has to see him physically with Drusilla having a conversation before he'll admit to knowing her. Right. And like, that is so bad. It's just, it's like, it's so bad. Yeah. He did it with Darla. He's yeah. doing it with Spike. He does it later with Drusilla. He's yeah. constantly keeping it all close to the chest yeah. to convince Buffy that he's this shining knight. Well, and to, not even just Buffy to convince all of them. Right. Because he knows that if any of them aren't there aren't like on his side in this that she won't be either and it it's just a really gross like manipulative way to be where it's like it's like the older guy who won't talk about his previous relationships and it's right. like well then i feel like you're the problem although i will say to be fair <laughs> i'm not going to say devil's advocate <laughs> but to be fair and i completely agree with you but he is the only vampire like himself. He's the only vampire sure. with a soul and they're still coming to terms with what that means. And so maybe he's afraid if I tell them all these horrible things, it's going to continue to make me not be with them, with pe- these people, which then again, he doesn't really want to be with any That's of them. He the just thing. wants to be in a relate. So you're right. It's yeah. all gross. <laughs> because if he wanted to be part of the team and he wanted to be super helpful, he would stick around and research Right. Because we know he likes reading books because he's constantly reading like fucking Russian length novels in his <laughs> dumb apartment. I just like, I literally don't have the patience because yeah. everything he says is directly contradicted by everything he does. Right. And that's very frustrating, especially when it's coming from someone who is, I'm, I am, you are instructing me to view them as a romantic lead. And he's being so dishonest 100% of the time yeah. that I'm just like, well, <laughs> I like, I'm like literally watching him fuck Buffy's entire love life for the rest of her life up. And I can't do anything about it. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, ah! You get more and more angry every yeah. rewatch. I like, really do. You son of a bitch. And especially like, especially lately, like in the last handful of years, because so much stuff has happened in the real world and I've sort of gained another language to put my feelings to, to talk about this stuff where like, it's, it's really manipulative and it's, it's sort of groomy and it's like, it's just really icky, which is not a word I had to learn to talk about this, but (laughs) it, you know, all of that kind of stuff where he's, he's gaslighting her and manipulating her into being in this relationship. And like, he's the one that's sort of convincing her that this is like a life or death Romeo and Juliet kind of thing, like a star crossed lovers. And, you know, it, it is that to an extent, but to a lesser extent, it's not. And 
and she it's just playing into this like schoolgirl mind that she still has despite her grown-up job and that is it, it just it smacks of like an entitled older man who just wants the pretty young thing and that's so gross and so bad and and that is I mean, that i mean is the crux of the reason why i cannot accept him as a viable romantic partner <laughs> Because it just, the long term, that does not last because she's going to turn 25 at some point and he's going to be like, oh, well, you're, right. like a, you're like a person now. Yeah, and I have it's to like, tell you things. Yeah, she's very moldable in these moments in a way that it just like renders the whole thing like aromantic to me. Like I cannot, it's like just, ugh. it just mostly makes my skin crawl. Yeah, that's funny. It's funny too because... Watching this as a kid, I was just watching it unfold, and I didn't know the things that he was holding back. Yeah, because they still don't well, reveal. That's the other, yeah, that's the. They other don't reveal thing. all this till later, and so when you're watching it, you're just like, "Oh, this is Starcross lovers, and mm-hmm. he's old, but he's just a couple years older than her body wise. Mm-hmm. His mind is." I also <laughs> don't think so. Oh really? No, I think he was like mid twenties. Right. She's 16. No, I know. <laughs> it's like still gross. Years. No, yeah. <laughs> I just meant more like they're they're those human beings sure, looking they, at those pe- actors sure, playing yeah. the roles. They're like they look it doesn't look the way the story is yeah, yeah, being yeah. told essentially. Of course. Um <clears throat> But so that it's easier to watch that and then you don't know all the things he's holding back when you watch it. But yeah, on on rewatches, you're just like, there's a lot of stuff you should be telling them. You should be telling Buffy specifically if you're legitimately into having a relationship with Mm -hmm. this person and you're and you say so later, like I was infatuated with you, which we know is just basically lust. Yeah. He's like, I fell in love with you the moment I saw you. I'm like, she was talking like what are you talking about you saw her you saw a 15 year old girl eating a lollipop lollipop. outside her high school from across the parking lot it's so gross yuck (laughs) yuck (laughs) that's some lolita Uh, shit that's some like humbert humbert lolita shit and it's so icky yeah we're sorry to all the bangel fans out there i'm only a little sorry (laughs) yeah (laughs) i still i love because because of watching this the way it had i still like love the story arc of where this all goes um with the relationship I've said my piece and that it's I do like it because it is very sweeping and very it it can be very romantic and it it does feel the way falling in love for the first time in high school feels. All of those vibes are totally right on, but it's just when I'm parsing Angel's character specifically, I cannot let these things go after having watched the entire series. It just yeah. it does not all jive with each other like at all. And in a way that like makes me feel really icky. <laughs> part part of me like wants to retcon Angel the series too, where if when he's lamenting over Buffy with the picture of her in his book, it's actually yeah. him going like, "Was that fucked up? Was, <laughs> that was I, pretty fucked up. <laughs> should I not? Have done that? They're all you're all brooding over Buffy. I'm like, I think he's brooding over what he did to Buffy. <laughs> I made a huge tiny mistake. Do you know what's actually fascinating to me is that never once does Cordelia call him out on it. 
on his grooming of Buffy. Well, yeah, and I think part of it is because she was always into him as well as yeah. like a teenager. But I think if anyone were to have called him out about it, it would have been Cordelia. And she yeah. never is like, you know, that was weird, right? Right. Like she never, nobody ever says that to him. And I think that's a really, I think if it were happening today, somebody would say that to him. Yeah, they'd be like, because this even, is not right. Yeah, even to go back to the Vampire Diaries for a minute, it's never really said in that either because I think that show was just on the cusp. And like before it went too far, all of the human people were like adults or also vampires by that point. So it like, once you're all, you know, eldritch terrors, <laughs> it yeah. sort of evens out and you <laughs> yeah, can all be on an even playing field. Yeah. But it is something that like, it, it didn't used to bother me. The like, the ages and the way he was so much, you know, what is that equal? Like, 40 times older than her something right. crazy but it it matters more now and i think it's also important to note the differences in the times that angel and spike were humans yeah because angel was alive in like the 1700s in ireland and spike was a victorian dandy and those are <laughs> very different environments to have your personality formed in. Yeah. So I don't know. That's my, that's all my, that's all my stuff for now. We will absolutely get more into it. All of that from when Angel Batman's out of the Scooby gang. <laughs> yeah. Un it's, it's just unbelievable behavior from like start yeah. to finish. It, it's just, it's so frustrating. Cause you're right. Even, even if he weren't trying to be in love with Buffy, you're not being an ally at that point. Right. You're not like you're just coming in to say some cryptic shit and then you're running away before you get to any of the meat and potatoes of the information that you need to be imparting on these people. Right. Like, what's even the point of you? Like, I feel like because if he anything. sat there, I can't remember if this was let's see, was this before Buffy painting banner? Oh, no, it was it was after yeah, she I think it was, was after. Buffy's painting the banner and she was like not. Giles was like, oh, because Giles just said St. Vigis, and she was just like, whatever. Yeah. And then the Spike thing, I think she would take a lot more seriously if Angel was just like, this is what happened. Yeah, 100%. But then again, he would have to talk about what he did to Drusilla, and I don't think any of them would talk to him, and that's definitely why he didn't say anything, because <laughs> he did... The things that he said he did on the show that sure. he'll eventually say is not even close not to even what close. he actually did. But that's the thing is like, if you can't, it, it, they find out anyway. Right. So it's like they are finding out, he, it would work out better if they were finding out on his terms, if he was telling them on his terms. Instead, they find out all this information from the Watcher's Diaries and the, the Watcher's Council. And, you know, whatever if Giles' general knowledge. And then he has to be like, <laughs> he has to correct them and tell it even worse. Right. Because, like, once all the Drusilla cut stuff comes out, he's like, well, that doesn't even tell half the story. And yeah. I'm like, you could have... You could have gotten ahead of this if yeah. only you had been honest from the beginning, but you, you weren't. Gross, gross human. Yeah. Really gross. Um, yeah. So, Angel... Back to parent-teacher night. Angel leaves. Uh, prep work. Oh, yeah, they're prepping. Buffy's cutting stuff up. 
Cordelia. Really poorly. Really yeah. poorly, and also, she, like, with a machete. Yeah. yeah, when she was chopping that cucumber with a machete, it was, like, bouncing off. I was like, that, that looks a little like a prop there, Buffy. Um, and Cordelia says, one of my favorite lines of this yeah. There's so many great lines of this episode, but Cordelia says, uh, I mean, if this guy Spike is as mean as you all said, it should be over pretty quickly. She's like, I don't see why she needs this many steaks. Because <laughs> if she's just, like, poorly whittling a steak. And she's yeah. like, we're, I mean, we're all still rooting for you. I would be there myself, but I have a leg wax. Yeah. <laughs> They're just so good. Just, she's finally coming into the group, which is great. Yeah, I do um, also. She has a really good exchange, a really just like a one-two punch with Xander. Does anybody remember when Saturday night meant date night? You sure don't. Yes, that's great. <laughs> it's such a good burn. And it's just, yeah. it's like, but it's like gentler than the burns she's done on them before. And Xander yeah. doesn't even like take a lot of offense to it. I really, I dig that a lot. Yeah. Um... Yeah, their their yeah. playful banter with each other is is good when it's not just so unnecessarily mean. Like when they're just yeah. like ribbing each Sniping, other, and you're like, yeah. yeah, which makes sense for where their relationship goes. Um, and then Joy shows up to the school. Uh, yeah, I her her little outfit. She looks like a sofa in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's like a high necked thing with long sleeves and it's like a tunic but it buttons up the front. Yeah. And it just does look like grandma's sofa upholstery. <laughs> they but never she knew. looks she looks pretty fierce in it though. Yeah, they never knew quite what to do with Joyce. The um, best thing she ever wears is the last the second to last thing she ever wears on the show. Oh yeah, that skirt and the blouse. Dress, yeah. I think yeah. it's a dress, but is it a regardless, dress? yeah. Well, probably because it was so iconic. Yeah. The like the last thing you're gonna remember her in. Yeah. Oh, um, not not that. That is oh. a skirt and blouse, and that's hideous. Oh, okay. She like, goes out. Like... She goes out on a date, and oh, she wears right, like right, a right, dress, right, right, a really right. fancy yeah. dress. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sorry. nothing. There was no nothing. <laughs> nothing. She's on forever. It's fine. Um. So yes, Joy shows up. And then uh, there's, you know, we already talked our talked our heads off about how it's just so unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, her of wanted me. It is funny that Willow takes her around, but yeah, I do love um, it. Also, you can see her in the background when Cordelia is having that hilarious exchange with Buffy about like not being able to moisturize or whatever. You're starting to look a little slagged. What are you just skipping foundation entirely now, Cordelia? I have at least three lives to contend with, none of which really mesh. It's kind of like oil and water and a third unmeshable thing. Yeah, and I can see the oil. You can yeah. see Willow coming down the stairs with Joyce in the background, yeah. and she has her elbow like in a death grip. Yeah. She's like she's like clutching her elbow desperately. <laughs> it's very funny. I yeah. also I don't believe that Buffy doesn't know how to make lemonade. <laughs> she just she's, like does not put sugar in it and I don't it, believe that it was funny though when was, she was just like how much sugar did you put funny. in she goes sugar and Willow's Allison Hannigan's reaction yeah. where she like oh, yeah. spits it out and she's like it's very good it's good and then she's even in the background when uh telling think, Joyce shaking her head yeah, no jo- to Joyce goes me. she's like don't do it <laughs> that's so good but then so Cordelia comes up and talks to Buffy and she's so mean to Buffy out of nowhere about her 
her, about, her face. Yeah, yeah, about everything. She's like, you look like shit. Your mom, <laughs> your mom looks great. She looks a lot better than you. So your mom, you're about to be grounded for months and like smiling. I was like, are you the villain in this episode? Like, what's going on? I don't know. I always kind of liked it because, and and watching it this time, I actually had kind of a thought where I was like, I wonder if in this moment Cordelia is. Because I think that's probably how she acts with her, like, actual friends, but they're not her real friends. So I wonder if she's trying to treat Buffy like her real friend. Because she doesn't know how to. And she's not 100% sure. It was the thing, it was something that I just realized this time where I was like, I wonder if this is, like, Cordelia trying to be friends with Buffy. And it's just, like, it's too harsh because it's what she's used to with all of her dumbass friends. (laughs) I was just like, that would be hilarious because it is so much harsher based on what we heard before. Yeah. Yeah, But I do, I I have always thought it was funny because she is sort of gleeful about it, but it feels like she's trying to be nice. Right. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. That's funny. That's a good take. I like that, that she's like trying to be friends with Buffy and she just doesn't really know how to be friends with people. She doesn't know how to be like human friends with an actual person. (laughs) She's getting there. Um, and then and then the best part is Spike and team break into the building. Two days early. Two days before St. Fidget's, where they were supposed to have extra strength. Yeah, because he cannot, he physically cannot do a plan. Yeah. And he, I think that's actually one of my favorite things about him as a character is how excited he gets about things. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, he can't wait to fight Buffy. Yeah. And so he doesn't. He yeah. just does come and fight her. Yeah. And it's really funny. What can I say? Good mic. It is really funny. The and whole he, And he loses hard. <laughs> Which is common. It is, yeah. <laughs> it sets the sets the groundwork. Um, for some pretty great hilarious storytelling. Uh, yeah. This is there is a moment right in the beginning when everybody like sections off into the rooms where we mm. get another yeah. another hashtag Xander slander moment where he just is like I'm not leaving until I know Buffy's okay and it's just I'm like all, dude Buffy's fucking fine go get Angel you yes, dipshit you dumb ass <laughs> I would have even accepted if he said I'm not leaving until I know Willow's fine yeah. Because then it's like that his whole life has been with Willow and he would naturally be like, I need to make sure my friend's okay. And like, because he's only been with Buffy for a few months. Yeah. So it might not be a natural instinct like Buffy's got this handled. But the fact that he's like, I have to make sure these women are okay. Yeah. It's like, bitch, go get Angel. What are you talking about? Get out. (laughs) Get out of here. And he does, which is good. he does, yeah. Yeah. Um, Their stuff is like, okay. I kind of like it. It's like... You mean Xander and Angel? Xander and Angel. I kind of like it. It's mostly fun. But again, it's like, I guess they didn't know they were going to attack this night. So that's whatever. But I, because I, I was about to be like, what the fuck was Angel doing? Just chilling in his apartment. But they were not <laughs> expected to, to fight until Saturday. So it, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, they like, I do love when Xander's like, what's the plan? And Angel just grabs him by the neck and he's like, oh, <laughs> he's right. like, okay, good plan. Although, wait, wait, rewind. I don't think I thought about this. If he's sitting in his apartment, that means he said mysterious things about Spike, bailed on them, and then just went to read a fucking book? Yeah, he just went home. Like, That's where Xander finds him. That's so dumb. Yeah, I totally agree. Because it would even be 
understandable if he like left because he just had to go and yeah. like stake it out and see what the deal yep. was and like face with no he was just like i'll tell you something but i'm just gonna go mope in my apartment and read a book yeah it's horrible that's so dumb <laughs> I don't know why I never thought about that. <laughs> I've seen this show 20 times. Um, I do have actually like a big issue with uh, one specific piece of Spike's dialogue in this. Is it? Is it? Can I Can I take a guess? You can take a guess. Is it? You were my sire, man. You were my Yoda. No, no. Oh. <laughs> That's fine. I've accepted that because we, we, I, okay. I accept that because I believe that Angel was demonstrably his sire because Drusilla was cra- like too crazy to actually like guide him. Right. In any way. The one I don't like is Fee Fi Fo Fum. I smell the blood of a nice ripe girl. Why don't you say chosen one? That would rhyme. <laughs> I thought it was funny that he, like, purposefully didn't want to make it rhyme. (laughs) Make it rhyme! (laughs) I'm like... I do do think that, though. Like, I think it's funny, but every time he says it, I'm waiting for a rhyme, and he doesn't do it. I'm like, I feel like you could have rhymed that. I feel like you could have rhymed. And we know it's not because of the poetry, because we don't know about the poetry yet. Right, yeah. So I'm just like... That was just such a bad line of dialogue. That is funny, though, because yeah. he's so bad at poetry. He's so bad at poetry. Look, I have the word effulgent tattooed on my foot. That's great. I know all about how bad he is at rhyming. <laughs> so many spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> um, Look, people said they wanted it. So Yeah, that's right. They said, fucking go for it. So, yeah, we, we clarified a major spoiler, but it's not really. It's actually best... For those of you watching this the first time to know right off the bat, Angel didn't sire Spike. Yeah. Drusilla sired Spike. That mm-hmm. way, because bas- they basically try to retcon all of it. A little, yeah. And so now you can just kind of go forward knowing that maybe he just means he's his grandfather. Because the, like, the thing that he him. says where he was like, you were my sire, you were my Yoda. Right. The Yoda part is what always makes me be like, well, maybe he just means he's the one who like made me what I am. He, like, right. trained me. But Drusilla is the one who bites Spike. Yeah. Um, which is great. And you're going to get... You're all going to get to see that, and it's great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then there's there's a funny moment, too, uh, where uh, I always notice this. It's just so weird to me. <laughs> so she she kills or she i think she knocks Sheila out or i can't remember if she kills her but she gets the axe and she swings the axe with two hands at a vampire mm-hmm. sticks it in the wall he immediately stands up and has a stake in his heart and i'm like did you do it with your foot like this doesn't the i have no body idea. mechanics don't work on this that is very funny i have no idea <laughs> I always, every time he stands up, I'm like, what's he looking at? Oh, how does, how is there a stake in his chest? She was holding the axe one second ago. Yeah, I don't know. That is bizarre. There's a, there's like a handful of moments like that where you're like, how on earth did you just do that? Yeah. Yeah, that is funny. And then there's, they reveal Sheila becomes a vampire. Yep. um, Right before that. She tries to, and that was one of those moments where she like basically almost, chops her right in the head mm-hmm. until someone's go Buffy <laughs> and then she turns around um and it's good 
and then there's just a whole bunch of fighting. It's it's the whole thing is like Buffy Buffy stands up to Principal Snyder. She goes into the roof. Yeah. And then she just starts killing them one by one like a fucking badass. Honestly. Yeah, it's pretty great. I, but I would I do want to say I think most of the fighting choreography in this episode is actually trash. Oh yeah, no, it it's doesn't really look bad. very good like at all. <laughs> you can like, there's one moment where you can like almost see the entire faces of both of the, the Buffy doubles. and yeah. the Spike doubles, and I was just like, ugh. Yeah, they're like, they're like hanging on the. There's a shot <laughs> yeah. where she punched Spike in his head, and I was like, we just hung on the shot too long, and it just looked like a dude with a yeah. yellow wig. Yeah, it's, like... yeah. It was, it's not great. <laughs> it's not but great. I do. I like that they. Um, I like that they have weapons at first. I like that the little quippiness. I like how confident Buffy is immediately in this fight with Spike. Yes. She doesn't seem super scared. She just is like, she, her like, do we really need weapons for this? And he's like, no, they just make me feel manly. It's like yeah. all very funny and good. They both drop their weapons and then they like, they start fighting, but she like walks up to him with her hands behind her back, sort of like sauntering like yeah. around. And it's, it's very good i really really like their the vibe they have together from the beginning because for each of them it feels like a it's like a new fun challenge and they both feel excited about this fight and i think they also both i think to a certain extent they both know that this is not going to be the fight where either of them dies yeah like, even to the point where Buffy's on the ground and Spike is, like, looming over her, I still think neither of them are, like, it's going to happen now. Right. I think he had too much fun fighting with her, and she was like, I'm not good enough to end you yet. Yeah. And that's what I really love. And it, that is basically, that's essentially underlines their entire relationship moving forward in the series, which is amazing. Yeah, no, they they always whether subconscious or not seem to genuinely enjoy the endless battle with it. They're like yeah. Batman and the Joker essentially. Sure. Yeah. They they're like very at, at this part of the relationship they're very much like need each other. Yeah. Um and I really like that. I like they and I don't know if that was initially the writer's intention. I know there was that whole thing where Joss Whedon mm-hmm. slammed James Marster against the wall and he got yeah. mad about um, yeah. people liking him essentially. So I don't know if they were just intending on him being a bad guy and like he would eventually die this season. I know he was he, supposed to die yeah, this season. Yeah, he was season. supposed to. Oh yeah, but then it was basically, I read an interview or I watched an interview with James Marsters a while back and essentially he he said it wasn't until like season four that Joss basically stopped telling him you could die in any episode. Oh Jesus. Yeah, which is like a such dick. a dick move. <laughs> I don't know that we've really addressed it on here, but Joss Whedon sucks. Yeah. We're, like, aware of that, that he sucks as a person. Yeah. We're yeah. not trying to cover that up or anything. No, yeah. Um, But I do want to say one thing, uh, again, going about their relationship, about the Buffy and Spike relationship, is that one of the reasons that I, I do prefer it to the Buffy and Angel, and it starts from minute one, is that they approach each other from the start on a very even footing. They Buffy. are in the same place. Buffy and Spike. Buffy and Spike, right, right, right. They are in the same place. They both know everything about the other one that they need to know for the relationship that they have at this point. It's very even. Nobody has a power over the other, whether it be emotionally or physically or anything like that. 
it's just such an even keeled relationship from the start. And it obviously goes through wobbles later when one or the other of them does have, uh, you know, something over the other. But I think it starts from a place of honesty, whether uh, even though it's negative honesty, (laughs) it starts from a place of equality and honesty. And I think that that is what makes it a more compelling long-term relationship, romantic or otherwise, because they are not romantic for a while, for a long, long time. So I just think it's, I think he's such a more compelling foil to Buffy than Angel is because in addition to all the stuff we've already said, Angel's also just kind of like wallpaper paste where he's just like, he doesn't really have a personality on this show, which is annoying. Yeah, it's but. just mopey for Buffy, and that's it. Yeah. Also, um, um, the introduction of Buffy to Spike occurs during what is almost 100% my favorite needle drop of this entire series, <laughs> which is the song Stupid Thing by the band yeah. Nickel, who are performing at the bronze. Especially given things that happen later, I think the lyrics are very important to the ongoing future relationship of Spike and Buffy. Drop them on me. What are they? I literally wish you hadn't asked that because they went right out of my head. But he says, he says, I did a stupid thing last night. I called you. It was a moment of weakness, more like three months of weakness. And then he says something about... I'm one step away from something. And he says, I'm one step away from crashing to my knees. Oh. And that part specifically, it's that part specifically that I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do also just love the song. It's like very late nineties, alt rock contempo on the college radio station kind of yeah. stuff. But yeah, the, yeah. the music, the music's great. Um, I, I can't remember that song. I'm gonna have to listen to it again. Um, but yeah, this this is uh that's a good I I never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. The especially in this episode cuz like I'm like sitting here with this right now cuz <laughs> about the equity in their relationship? <laughs> well, yeah, not just the like that that is kind of like I don't think I ever really thought about that, but then that in contrast to the way Angel's relationship yeah. is demonstrated in this episode. Yeah. So like you see Angel not being on even keel with her and not giving all the information and not being honest and holding things back. Yep. And obviously Spike's not coming like, here's all my baggage, but like they know everything about each other. Yeah. They, and, they, and that's, I think the important distinction is they know everything they need to know about each other. Right. Exactly. And that's what's important because they don't know everything about each other, No, but they know the amount that they should given the fact that they are enemies in this right. moment. And I think that's so important Even because you could even say, you could even claim that it's very similar to how Angel first sees her because Spike is there doing like reconnaissance and he's like, I need to see her first. And Angel does a similar thing. But immediately Angel puts her on this pedestal and Spike is like, I need to see her fight. So he draws her into this thing and then he reveals himself immediately. And it's just the type of thing where it's like, I need to see her fight, but then I want her to know that it's me doing right. it. Like I'm the one doing this. I'll be the one who's doing this. And I don't know. There's just something 
that's a lot more equitable and even and honest about the two of them and their interactions from literally minute one. Right. That there is not this level of honesty. And Angel is holding himself in a power position over Buffy and Willow and Xander and Giles because he's keeping he's keeping important information from the Watcher, from Buffy's protector in this supernatural world. He's right. keeping things from him that could help keep Buffy safe. So it's like, even if you don't want Buffy to know all this dark shit about you, you should be telling the person who, and and then maybe Giles can edit the stuff that you tell her, which is still gross, right. but then at least somebody knows the bad stuff so that we can be fully armed against this you know, future enemy, and he just never does it. No. Ever, ever. Ever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and Spike, that is, that's also interesting. You're just blowing my mind this episode (laughs) because that is so interesting that, like, Spike and Angel both first see Buffy the same way. Yeah. Um, From a distance. From a distance. sort of voyeuristically. uh, Yeah, on purpose. Yep. Spike is soulless. He is an evil vampire at the time of doing it. So it makes sense. That he is viewing her as a predator. Yeah. In a predatory way. unlike... Angel, he reveals himself. Uh, literally immediately. Immediately. Like he, he watches her dance for like two minutes. Right. We don't even get the full song. It's for like two minutes. And then he finds another vampire and says, go outside and get something to eat. And then because he knows that Buffy will go out and deal with it. Yeah. And he wants to watch how she fights. And I think it is that moment where he kind of, it becomes enamored of her where he's like, oh, she's got something and he and that's why he can't wait until saturday night to fight her because i think that's the other thing that's so fascinating is i think he wants it to be a fair fight he wants to take her down legitimately he doesn't want to take her down with this like souped up magic power he wants this to be an equitable fight because that is basically what gets him off is he's like i am a powerful thing now and i can best you and i think that's what's actually so fascinating and why he's frustrated at the end because he's like she doesn't best him her human mother does right and he's like uh friends and family (laughs) like you said you could have that yeah that's why he's annoyed at the end yeah he's not he's not even annoyed that he was beaten he is annoyed that he wasn't beaten by buffy right it's very good it's very And I mean, a lot of that is just performance and a lot of it is stuff that is coming later. And a lot of it is like, I've read a lot of fan theories and I've read a decent amount of fan fiction. So I have a lot of things coloring my opinion. But I think given what comes later, none of these things are off the wall observations. You just have to have the context. And to me, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, and, and it only works really once seeing the whole show and knowing where everything goes. Because obviously, watching this air, you're just like, oh, whatever, you know, he didn't like He's a losing. bad guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a bad guy. He's yeah. mad that he lost. But that's what that's what's so great about re-watching this show is just getting to see, like, you just get to peel back all the layers more and more every yeah. time you watch it because you're 100%. realizing all these things, which is so it's great. It's like, it's probably my favorite thing about the show is, like, being able to sort of make these, like, leaps I guess in my mind. I mean, they don't feel like leaps anymore because I've, I've lived with these, you know, theories in my head and like fan theories and stuff for so long that 
it just is the way I watch the show now. Right. Um, but it is the type of thing that every time I watch it, I kind of pick up on something different. And that is what I like about the show. Also, I can't believe we made it an hour and 15 minutes into this episode without saying Spike is a fucking smoke show, too. <laughs> James Marsters is just like hot as balls. And like, it's it's very satisfying to just look yeah, at him and that yes. jacket and his whole vibe. And he gets better looking throughout he gets, the series. He gets much better looking. Well, he gets really fit. Yeah, in season like, seven in like Spike. season four. Woof. Well, yeah, season seven Spike is like thick though. Yeah, but season like season four and five Spike is like he gets really like cut. Curly hair Spike is my favorite. Really? <laughs> yes. I'm less of a fan of that. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. <laughs> That's a little surprising. It's not He's, my fave. He seems so relaxed. I'm just That's like, fair. yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe it's just this. I I, I, f- I feel less relaxed because his hair isn't just like, mm. it doesn't feel like it's pull, yeah. pulling his skin. Sure, sure. Um, well, yeah, this this was, this was a long one. Yeah. Uh, I had a lot I, of things to say about Spike. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, yeah, about Spike. There's, um, <laughs> There's like three little things. Well, there's one little thing, which I don't know how you feel about this, but I always love Angel's little smirk when Xander's just like, So when you gave him my neck to chew on, why didn't you clock him before he had a chance to clock you? I told you. I couldn't make the first move. I had to see if he was buying it or not. And if he bit me, what then? We would have known he bought it. (laughs) It is kind of like a, oh, shit. Yeah, Xander and Angel's relationship, I always kind of wish it got a little bit more they don't really interact in a way that I wish that they did more. And I understand why, but I do think, I think it would have been really a delight for uh, Nicholas Brendan and David Boreanaz to play off each other. Because as we know now as humans, David Boreanaz is like a pretty fun guy. Like he's sort of silly and quirky and jokey. And so I think that they would have had a really good rapport. Yeah. It would, it would have been fun to watch even them like, even if they were on like a Cordelia Xander path where they were just yeah. constantly ribbing each other, mm-hmm. but they were just so focused on making him the broody guy yeah. in the corner that he didn't yep. really interact with anyone. Um, and then uh, they start laying down the gra- groundwork for the mayor this early. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I need to say something to the media people. So? So? You want the usual story? Gang related? PCP? What you have in mind, the truth? Right. Gang-related PCP. Yeah. Um, well, the- fucking Snyder just keeps saying, oh, it's gang members on PCP. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that carries over for the rest of high school. Right. Because he it's says every it time with there's the something. teachers and Joyce. He's just like, yeah. oh, it's gang. Like, it's his immediate go-to. And then with yep. the cop, he's like, so do we do our usual? Mm. And you're like, oh, what is this? And you don't learn what this is until, yeah. like, the end of season three. Yep. Uh, which is pretty cool. Um, that things are like thought about. I don't know if they thought about it if, or if they like did that and then they were like, we have to pay that off. And then. Yeah, I don't know. I think it is. I think that is one of the things that I think Joss Whedon did. I think he had like a map for the, for the most of the series. So I think he had like the villains okay, laid out. So he was like, we're going to go here. So if you yeah. can ever sprinkle it in. So lay gotcha. it here. Yeah. I think, um, I think so, but I'm not a hundred percent. We had hilarious Cordelia and Willow in the closet. Oh, my God. And if you get me out of this, I swear I'll never be mean to anyone ever again. 
unless they really deserve it, or if it's that time of the month, in which case I don't think you or anyone else can hold me responsible. Ask for some aspirin. And can you please send some aspirin? Hey. So good. So good. Um, and then the show ends with one of my favorites. Yeah. Killing the anointed one. And if I had to do it all over again, <laughs> who am I kidding? I would do it exactly the same, only I'd do this. No! Yep, so excellent. That stupid so little great. kid. I feel bad for the actual human kid because I'm sure he's nice, but it was just like not the right move. Such a. I wonder if that was a cathartic thing they did for the viewers too. <laughs> because like they're stuck with this kid who doesn't. He's ineffectual. Yeah. He's just sitting there and they're like. Well, how do we kill him? We can't show someone killing a kid. Like, you can't yeah. stake a kid. And so they were like, and who would do something other than staking this vampire? And having Spike do it is kind of like this, like, just get the fuck out yeah. of here. I do love, too, that he's, like, he's so little that he can't even, like, fight against Spike. Because he, right. he, like, just picks him up and puts him in that cage. Yeah. And then just hoists him into the sunlight. Yeah. It's very funny. And everybody just watches, and, and it's kind of like all the other vampires are like, oh, right, it's just a kid. Oh, yeah, we could have done that already. Yeah. But that, that's the thing that's so fascinating, and I, and I do think it does run through basically just this family of vampires, because every other vampire that's ever on this show, with one or two exceptions, is always like, but the ritual... Yeah. And and all of these vampires are like, fuck that. Yeah. Get this thing out of here. Like, yeah. they just don't care ab at the, don't. about the ritual at all. Yeah. That's pretty great. And so we're done with the anointed one. Yep. Whee. And that's that's the end of the uh, that's the end of the show. That's everything. This is our intro of Spike. He's going to be here. Yep. All all season. Yep. And periodically and then forever. Yes. And that's that's as much as I'll spoil on that, but Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen this before, get used to Spike. Get used to us gushing about Spike. Yep, and his hair and his eyebrow. Yeah. His little Yeah, that's and that eyebrow, for anybody who doesn't know, is that is that's a real scar in his eyebrow. Yep. That he got they a just, bar fight. And, yeah, they <laughs> enhanced it with makeup. Because yeah. they were like, Oh, do we put and he's like, No, it looks cool. And his friggin' cheekbones, unbelievable. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so dreamy <laughs> he is he's so dreamy he is yeah i think that's everything for this episode yep um our next one is inca um, mummy girl inca mummy girl it's a good I actually one. yeah i actually love that episode yeah um it's one of the the least remembered episodes but... oh i think about it a lot oh really it's our first oz oh that's right yeah it's first oz then love Oz. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's it for this episode, at least. Yes. Uh, thank you for listening. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Trevor Carly. And I am on my other podcast at So I'm Watching. But you can also follow me personally at FiddleDD85. And please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.